I remember very clearly the day when death first became personally very real. 2001, I was 17, 18 years old, and I came upstairs to find my dad sitting at the telephone. This was corded telephone, he had to sit at it. It was on the piano, he was sitting on the piano stool, and he was weeping, bawling his eyes out. And I, in my awkward late teenage years, immediately started looking for mum because, what do you do? She was out. As I had to sit and hold my father as he wept, having heard the news of a death. His protege, his disciple, the young man who was destined to become the leader of the university movement my father worked in, newly married, in the car with his wife of months, reached down to change the radio station, collided with an oncoming car. She escaped unscathed. He died. Death hurts. I remember when I received that same phone call. A few years later, as I picked up the phone to hear your grandmother has died, It was a very strange moment, slightly surreal to hang up and feel tears running down my face, to feel the pain of death. Grandma, for years, had been, well, gone, really. She got the double whammy of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. For more than a decade, she'd essentially been in palliative care. I never really even knew her. And still, death hurts. Death hurts in a way that is peculiar, it's unique, it's like nothing else. I've bumped and scraped and cut and bruised myself, I've got scars everywhere, but I've lost track of most of them. They fade, they go, the pain wears away. But grief is not like that. Other pains fade. Grief can get triggered again by anything, a memory, a place, a sight, a sound, a smell, an anniversary. And it will feel like the hurt was just yesterday. Death hurts. But why? Why does it hurt so much when someone dies? Now I make no apologies. Today's is a sobering topic. Today is one of those areas of life that most of us would prefer to not even think about. It's not quite a taboo in our society but we try very hard to ignore it. And yet it's a reality for all of us. It's a reality that we have to face about our own lives. It's a reality that will impinge on us as those who are near and dear die. And my aim in this time is to convince you that the pain of death teaches us something fundamentally important. It teaches us that the world is not right. That you and I, humanity, is not okay. And I want to convince you of that because that's the necessary first step towards seeking some sort of solution. In the end, towards seeking God's solution. Why does it hurt so much when someone dies? 
Now, we can look for answers to that question in all sorts of places. Uh, our world has its own set of answers to, to what, do you, what do you do in the face of death? What are you supposed to think? What are you supposed to feel? And I'll be honest with you, all the answers that I've heard so far have been pretty unsatisfying. From the materialist with the pointless existentialism that says, well, life just is a series of moments. There's nothing but matter, so nothing matters. Death is just a thing. So just get on with it. (laughs) There's no reason. Maybe the pain you feel is an evolutionary advantage. It's going to help you care for the people around you. And so it's a good pain to feel because it helps you to look after others. But there's really no meaning. There's really no purpose. Or perhaps then there's those who turn to, well, the the sentimentality, the, the wishful thinking, the nice things that are meant to be said by way of comfort, but are really just a little bit strange and unfounded. They, it's okay, they've gone to a better place. How How do you know they've gone to a better place? What better place? Do you know something I don't? Do you know something about this person that I didn't know? They're up there looking down on us right now, which again sounds so lovely, but is kind of, what do you mean he's up there looking down at me? What do you mean she's spending, I hope not, I hope there's something better for them to do if they have gone up to somewhere. The answers the world gives really in the end amount to, well, you'll get over it, so just carry on. I've been to lots of funerals. Uh, it's one of the the sadnesses and also the privileges of my particular line of work. Most of them Christian, but some not. And I've got to tell you, out of those funerals that weren't based on the words from the Bible, that didn't come from what God has to say, it really is usually very sad. There's no meaning, there's no reason, there's no hope, there's no answer. The world doesn't really have anything to say to the pain of death. But the Bible, on the other hand, does. Why does it hurt when someone dies? Well, the Bible begins by saying it hurts because death is wrong. Death is not okay. Death is not good. Death is not right. I mean, again, the the world doesn't have a way of saying that death just is, but the Bible says, no, death is not okay. You might remember the first week, a couple of weeks ago, and the first in this series, God is the loving ruler and creator of the world who made the creation, including us, to enjoy him forever. We were created with eternity in our hearts, created, if you like, immortal. There's those early pictures in the very first couple of chapters in the Bible where it tells the creation story. Humanity in the good world that God made, rightly relating to their maker, connected to the source of life, delighting in who God is, delighting in the creation that God has made, there to live with God. But then you might remember what happened that we heard last week. We, all like sheep, have turned astray, turned each of us to his own 
way. We rejected God. We turned our backs on God. And what's left, if you turn your back on the source of life, what's left if not death? Now, here's the thing. Death is not just a consequence. It's not, it's not just the outworking of turning our back on the source of life. You see, you remember, God is the loving ruler of the world and we have rejected him. We, we have, each one of us, have done the single worst thing you could do. If you were going to make a, a moral scale from one to ten of the best and the worst, and I don't know how you'd rank it, right? And you'd put murder somewhere and pedophile and, and white lies and speeding a little bit and cheating on your taxes and you'd rank them all in there. They all become as nothing in the face of insurrection, in the face of rejecting the creator and the ruler, the one who has the right of ownership, we heard in week one. And so God will not, God cannot allow that rebellion to go on forever. God's punishment for sin, for that rebellion, begins with death and will be culminated in his judgment of us. This is the fundamental truth that we must grasp hold of. This is the stark reality that death points us to. A day of judgment is coming. A judgment, it's almost, it's almost the rude word these days, isn't it? Judgment, it's kind of the one thing you're not really allowed to do anymore. We live in an age of live and let live, of you have your beliefs and I have mine, of we'll all get along just fine as long as you believe whatever you want as long as that doesn't affect anybody else. Again, it sounds lovely. It's it's a sentiment that is understandable why it's popular. But really, it's a nonsense. It, It falls apart just on its own internal coherence. It doesn't make logical sense. You can believe whatever you want as long as it doesn't affect other people. But what if I do want to believe something that affects other people? Well, then you're not allowed to believe that. But hang on, then your belief is affecting me. So you... and. But what if there is a truth out there that we ought to believe, that we need to believe, that is different and separate from what's inside my own head? Or what about if we have a moment of conflict? You believe one thing, I believe a different thing, and they are in disagreement. What happens next? To say that the best solution is simply for everyone to believe their own truth and live and let live is doomed to failure. Plus, we don't even live that way. We we don't want people to be judged based on their own standards. Otherwise, a psychopath who thinks that taking other people's lives is a good thing could never be condemned. Of course we don't live it that way. We want there to be justice. We want right and wrong, and we want wrongs to be righted. It's in us all the way from childhood. I mean... The amount of times I've heard my kids say, right, it's not fair. What they really mean is, I'm not getting my own way, is what they mean by it's not fair. But even a child can appeal to a sense of fairness and justice, a desire to see good and right in the world. And we feel it. 
Whether it's the, the murderer on the news or the mean, hurtful bully in the playground, whether it's the abuser within a marriage or just that jerk who cut me off when driving yesterday, we want justice from the grandest of evils, should I say the worst of evils, all the way through to petty little things that happen to us. We want to see other people face justice for what they've done. That desire that the world has, what it is that we want, God has promised to give. He has promised to bring justice in absolute fairness. You see, God is the loving ruler of the world. And because he is the loving ruler of the world, he cannot stand by in the face of evil. Love means acting for what is right. It is part of God's very nature, part of God's very character. He can't just sweep evil under the rug. He must confront it. And he will. But that means that God is going to confront those not just who've sped in their cars or killed people or hurt others, but it means that God is going to confront those who've rebelled against him. In fact, God's day of condemnation has already begun. We live in the day of death. It began with that very first rebellion, with Adam and Eve turning their back on God. It began then, as God said, they must be cut off from the source of life. It's a day that continues even to today and will end only at the day of resurrection, which is the day of judgment, the day when the final condemnation will fall. It is a grim, grim reality. The Bible sums it up in just one sentence. Man is destined to die once and then face judgment. You and I, we are already dead. We live in the day of death and we ourselves, by nature, are already cut off from the source of life. It may not look like it. We still walk and talk. We're still going through the motions, but we are only living on borrowed time. Death has already come for us. Allow me to illustrate it for you. I, uh, I got into a little bit of trouble when I was dating my wife. Uh, we were both very young. I, I was a single working man. I had a bit of money to spend. And so I used to get into trouble fairly regularly, in fact, because I kept buying her flowers. Uh, there was, near where I worked, a florist, which was an absolute godsend to a young, dumb person like myself who had no idea about what looks nice or isn't because she made these incredible floral arrangements and sold them dirt cheap. So I could regularly rock up at the door to my uh, girlfriend at the time, wife now, with these incredible arrangements of flowers. I think it was our, our one month of dating that I had roses delivered to the door. But I kept getting into trouble. You see, her mother, uh, my now mother-in-law, had never had her husband buy her flowers. Not once. 
in their however many years of marriage, there was one time he came home with flowers and uh, she thought he'd done something wrong. As it turns out, he had bumped into a friend on the bus who was bought flowers for his wife and on hearing that my father-in-law had never given flowers to his wife, he decided that my father-in-law's need was greater and gave him the flowers to take home to his wife. Anyway, I kept getting into trouble because I kept buying flowers. But flowers are very strange things. You see, flowers are dead. They're dead the moment you cut them off the branch. They're dead the moment you cut them off the source of life. You might take them home and put them in water and put those little sachets of flower fertilizer or whatever it is to keep them going for a little bit longer. They look fantastic. They are beautiful. They smell like life itself. But they're already dead. And it only takes time for the petals to droop and eventually fall. For the smell to turn from being the smell of life to being the stench of death. You might fool yourself into thinking they are still alive, but they are not. You and I, however much we might continue to go about our business, if we have been separated from the source of life, which we have by our rebellion, then we are already dead. And you see, that punishment of God that begins in the death that we face in this day will end in judgment and condemnation. I can already tell you what the outcome of that judgment is, condemnation. We, we, we already know that. We all have turned astray. We are guilty. Now, you stand before a human magistrate, you might think that perhaps you can get away with it, you get a good enough lawyer, you catch him on a technicality. In this case, the judge knows everything. And we are guilty. I'll tell you what, that condemnation is horrible. What awaits is horrendous. The picture the Bible gives, it says this, it's better to cut off your hand. It's better to gouge out an eye than to go there. Why does it hurt when someone dies? I'll tell you why. It's because in that moment, we feel again the sting of the judgment of God. Now, if you're feeling a little bit helpless, a little bit hopeless, a little bit down right now, then you've arrived at the right place. It might not be nice, it might not be entertaining, but that's the place we need to arrive at as the first step towards seeking God's solution. If you haven't grasped the problem in its full depth, in the desperation that it ought to produce in us. You won't look for the solution. Now that's coming. Okay, The next two weeks in particular, we're going to hear from Joe and from Adam as they show us again from the Bible God's amazing salvation plan. Don't miss out. This is not the last word. But I want to draw out three implications of this for us by way of reflection as we wrap up today. The first is this, God will win over evil. God will bring wickedness and wicked people to account. Humans are accountable to somebody. 
the evil that we do to others and that others do to us, that they do to, we do to each other, and you know, it will face a judgment day. God cares about humanity, about who we are and about what we do. It's very different, isn't it, to the atheistic, the materialistic view of the world. In that view, there's no one who cares. No, no one. Your actions don't matter. Tomorrow you'll be dead and gone. The dust will be all that's left of any of us. It's irrelevant what we do in the grand scheme of things. Whereas the Bible says God will bring every deed into judgment. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. There will be reward for the good that is done in Christ as much as there will be for the evil of those who've wronged him. And so the second implication is that who you are and what you do matters. You are not nobody that no one cares about and no one will remember. You are somebody that God knows and that God watches and cares for and understands what you go through and what you do. The judgment at the end brings meaning to the life now. It's, it's, a, it's a strange kind of way of thinking, isn't it? Death without judgment truly is meaningless. There's no account, there's no reckoning, there's no reward, there's no recompense, there's no condemnation. History is just one damn thing after another. But because of judgment, who you are and what you do matters. Which therefore, and this is the third implication and really the heart of today's talk, means this. We're in trouble. You are in trouble. You see, death teaches us how utterly helpless we are. Death teaches us that our rebellion against God is so deep that we cannot fix it. We, we can't. I mean, just think about the example from last week, right? Do you think lying is wrong? Yes. Do you lie? Yes. You do what you know is wrong. We cannot fix the heart out of which flows our rebellion against God. It's not the wicked people out there who face condemnation. It's you and it's me. Please, please don't miss next week. Please don't miss God's solution. It's, it's a marvellous solution. It's a wonderful solution. It, it, it's a solution that we wouldn't have come up with. That he sent his son to face our punishment. It's, it's the only possible salvation that there is. Please don't miss it. Why does it hurt so much when someone dies? Because we feel again the sting of the judgment of God. I'm going to pray. Our Heavenly Father, on our own, we are your enemies. By nature, rebelling against you. Our hearts black, our thoughts perverse. Our Father, we are sorry for that and want, want desperately to be reconciled to you. We thank you that you have a salvation that you have sent Jesus to bring us into that salvation, to pay in our place, that we might come back to you. Today, please, would you help us to feel the weight of our sin, of our rebellion, to understand the seriousness of where we stand before you.
to see in death the sting of your judgment and condemnation upon us, that it might turn us frantically to seek refuge in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.